0: Well,
1: welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife Erica and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us, especially here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest, we always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say Three times. Uh, here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So my hope would be is that you'd come back and you could be our spiritual family. Um, if you're watching online, we'd love you to do a few things, like, comment, share, leave a review. Uh, it helps us get through some of those social media algorithms and get the message of Jesus out. Today, we are uh, continuing a series called I Love the 90s, and uh, it's been great to kind of talk about and walk through some of the 90s television shows that uh, came out um, during that time, you know, during kind of like the after-school specials, kind of, you know, the, you know, uh, it was a guy. Kind of the family television shows, and we've been looking at different TV shows in the '90s. and it's been great because we've really been looking at things in a way of going like, okay, hey if, 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 you, if culture ever gives you something, you have three options with it. This is what I typically tell people is that you can receive it, you can reject it, or you can redeem it. And this is kind of our church's way to redeem something that kind of came out in the '90s. So you know, those TV shows didn't really have anything to do with God, but we're using them to kind of teach godly principles. And so we're having having some fun with that, and it's been really, really good. Week one. We talked about the, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, which was awesome, and we were able to walk through different things about the Fresh Prince and and um, really walk through the idea that when Will moved from one family to another family, it completely changed his life, and that's what happens when you and I uh, get into a, a, a what we call spiritual family. We can we can you know grow up, and maybe you're born in not such a great family, but you can be uh, kind of uh, adopted into a new family, God's family, and things can change, and it's really cool to see that. Week two, last week, we talked about this idea of. Of, uh, of of grace, and that we we use the backdrop of saved by the bell, and that at any point in our lives we all learned didn't we all learn this that at the end of the day you and I will be saved by the bell that, that we will sin all the way up until we meet Jesus, and and it's only the goodness of God, it's only the grace of God that allows us to be saved literally by the bell um, and and be able to be with Him one day. As so we talked about this idea of grace, but today we're looking at a third television show, and it's kind of a fun one, and we're looking at full. House, Um, and so we looked at. How many y'all watched Full House when uh, you were younger? Come on, make some noise if you did. Y'all like that show? And so, um, you know, it was a unique show. It was a family-driven show, but you know, it was very unique, and I liked it a lot because um, you know, it was kind of set in the Bay Area. I'm not from San Francisco per se, but we're kind of from the Bay Area. And just so you know, like, the only nice thing about San Francisco, in my opinion, was the Golden Gate Bridge. There's nothing nice about that city. Everybody was like, "Oh, we want to go visit San Francisco." I'm like, "It's terrible. So you don't want to see it." But this show was kind of set in that area, and um, it, the premise was interesting. The premise was, you know, he had a widowed sportscaster who, who enlisted his brother-in-law and his best friend to come help him raise his kids. And, and it's interesting. He didn't ask his, you know, natural family, maybe the family that was blood to them. Um, he asked a friend, and he asked a brother-in-law to come help him raise his children. And, you know, you had Uncle Jesse, you know, which is brother-in-law and comes in and, and, you know, he's kind of the cool guy with the cool hair and, you know, he likes music and he's always talking about Elvis, you know, kind of doing something funny with him. And then you had uh, Joey, you know, Uncle Joey, who was the kind of the silly jokester that would do jokey things. He's come on, We all remember his catchphrase. His catch line was always cut it out right yeah so he would always do something silly like that and then you had of course the, the girls that they were raising and you know you had all of a sudden you know different characters that came in and out but really the interesting premise of the story because you know it's so interesting to see um, family come from such a unique moment in fact I wrote a, a, an interesting premise that I thought was, was pretty good if you were kind of summarize the story it was different families coming under one roof with a common purpose that's really what it was you know, Uncle Jesse had a different family, and Uncle Joey had a different family, and obviously Danny Tanner had a, his family. And they all decided that we're going to come under one roof with one common purpose, to help raise the girls. And and I thought that's such an interesting, unique thing about them that really relates to our church, is that that's what happens in our church. Is that there's different families, you know, from different backgrounds, all coming under one roof, under one common purpose that that you know you guys are meeting people and you guys are already relating to people that are not really your your natural family. You know, like I have my natural family, like my parents are here on the front row, my aunt and uncle are here on the front row, so, or the second row over here. And so like I are we're, we're, those are my my natural family, but then there's spiritual family that happens all throughout Right? Our church and that you get connected and you're not connected by blood necessarily that inside of your family name, you're connected through someone else's blood called Christ. And and so we talk about that idea in such a unique way because it's such a, a unique concept. You and I need to know how To do it. So, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to talk about where this idea of spiritual family comes from because you're going to hear me use it on a regular basis a lot. And I want to be able to explain it to you so you can kind of understand what we talk about, what we mean when we say spiritual family. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Don't forget you Gentiles. Now before we start real quick, let me give you some context what Paul is doing. So the Old Testament and the New Testament are inside of the Bible. It kind of consists, the New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then it's kind of the life of Jesus. Then it moves to the Acts of the Apostles, which is really kind of the first church days as the Church of Christ starts. And then you move into really what they call the Epistles, or the letters from an apostle named Paul, who is writing to the churches at the different cities around that area. Now this is Paul writing from a Roman prison to a church at Ephesus. He's writing to the church so that he can they can truly understand what's really going on. So he kind of establishes a few things in the first part he says don't forget that you gentiles used to be outsiders you were uncircumcised heathens by the jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts in those days you were living apart from christ you were excluded from the citizenship among the people of israel and you did not know the covenant promises god had made them you lived in this world without god without hope but now you have been united with christ everybody say united this is an important concept. He says, You've been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Verse 19, jump ahead. He says, So now, now you, the Gentiles, are no longer strangers or foreigners, you're citizens along with God's holy people. And he uses this. He says, Let me summarize for you why this is so important that you are now members of God's family. Everybody say family. He doesn't say club, he doesn't say clique. he doesn't say unit, he doesn't say, you know, group, he doesn't say gang, he doesn't say any of that stuff. What he says is family. He uses that language intentionally. That together we are his house built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the circum- and the cornerstone uh, in Christ Jesus himself. Verse 21, we are ac- carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord under God. I love that. Like, Paul is highlighting, here's what spiritual family really is. In summary, God is reconciling all people under one group called spiritual family. That's what he's doing. And with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that today you have something to speak to us. You're, you're going to grow us. You're going to show us what it is to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. I am thank you, and I'm honored to walk with your presence, God. I thank you that I don't need to be perfect to be in your family. I don't need to be perfect to have family. I don't need to be perfect to, 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 to be around family. God, you have been perfect for us. I accept your free gift, God. Every day I wake up, and I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said... When I was a teenager, um, you know, what's funny about being a teenager is the one thing you want most in life really is money because you realize you don't have money. And now you're at a level and age where you want money so you can buy things that you want. At the same time, your parents are also realizing that they don't really need to pay for things much for you anymore because they've been doing it for 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years. And they're trying to get you off of them as their financial, right, as your – you don't want to be their financial uh, money bank anymore. So what you tell them maybe the best words that a parent can tell a teenager ever is go get a job come on somebody parents out there who had a teenager y'all know it's like go get a job you want that you know you want that dress go get a job you want that car go get a job you want that hat? go get a job. You want to tell them to go get a job. And so my parents did the same thing with me. They said, son, you're out of time to go. You know, they started when I was like eight, but like, you know, it's like, all right. So I got to a point where I can start to work. So I get a job and I start working at different odd jobs. I started at a bagel shop. I did finish line a little bit. But then when you start becoming a teenager, you want to be in the cool spots. You want to be in the places that are like cool. Like, so I wanted to go to the mall. That's where I was going to try to go, the mall. Like I'm going to go to the mall. So I went and I applied for, um, uh, Pack Sun was called Pacific Sunwear. By the way, that's from California, so we know what it was before. It's Pack Sun and cool now. So we were trying to be. I was. I, I applied at Pacific Sunwear back in the day. Um, I applied at like you know American Eagle and Foot Locker and all these kind of places that I wanted to. But there was one place called Anchor Blue, and it was kind of like a clothing store, just like a lot. Of, it was a teenage clothing store. Not a lot of people know about that unless you're kind of from the West Coast. And um, I applied for it. and I was like, oh man, I want to get this job. I really wanted this job. So first round of interviews was a phone interview. Got through the phone interview. I'm like, man. I'm going to win this thing. I started praying. I'm like, God, if you just give me this job, I'll serve you forever. Come on, how many of y'all do that kind of dumb prayer with God? And you're like, you know, you don't mean it at all, but you're just trying to see God can bless you. And so then I get into the second step, and it was like the group interview. Have you ever been in a group interview before? Y'all been in a group? It's kind of an odd thing because you want to stand out, but don't stand out too much. And then you want to be in the background, but you don't want to be too much in the background. And you want to be charming, but not too charming. You want to be smart, but not too smart. You want to rub everyone the wrong way, but then you also want to make the, sure the, the boss kind of catches you. You, you. It's very, very awkward. But I got through the group interview, and I'm like, all right. So I finally got to the manager interview, and I'm sitting there talking to the manager. And he's like, we're having a great rapport. It's back and forth. I'm like, this is going to happen. There's no problems. Everything's good. He's like, man, here we're going to hire you. Come back. I'll call you next Friday, and I will give you your... your your uh, uh your schedule to work and I'll let you know when you're gonna come in and it'll be great. And I'm like sounds good let's do it so I wait until Friday and I get no phone call and I'm like give them the benefit of the doubt I don't want to be that guy to call and you know I want them to call me. I wait for two weeks. Two weeks go by no phone call. So that Friday I called him up and I said hey can I talk to the manager? he said the manager's on vacation he'll call you when he gets back. I said no problem. Three weeks go by no phone call so I show up I walk into anchor blue and I'm like I'm gonna talk to that manager. So I walk up to the manager and he go get him he comes in the back and I said I said hey man remember me like we you know you hadn't sent me the schedule yet we were supposed to start work you know what when are we going to be able to uh do that and he goes um uh he goes uh oh oh that's right oh i remember that yeah 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 hey we hired someone way better than you man sorry it literally said that to me i remember thinking i was like Oh, okay. Because, you know, in that moment, you got to, like, play it cool. You know what I mean? You kind of play it cool. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got, like, a couple other jobs, you know, that I'm looking at, too. So it's all good, you know. But I remember thinking walking out really hurt. Like, that. That like, I felt like, man, I... so they picked someone other than me, and I was offended, and I was hurt. And I remember walking out praying for them, the manager, and praying for that store and just believing God for the store to grow. I wasn't praying for them, y'all. <laughs> Nobody praying for nobody right there. I'm like, man, this place is terrible, you know? And I'm like, if I had social, this is pre-social media. If I could have done it, I would have pulled out my phone, Facebook Live right then. I've been like, this place is terrible. Hashtag boycott Anchor Blue. I mean, how many of y'all would have done that like me? Like, it was, I was hurt. And uh, so I told all my friends and family, I said, we don't want anything to do with them. Boycott Anchor Blue. This is the worst ever. And um, And then they wind up going bankrupt. I threw a party. There was a bankrupt Anchor Blue party. It was awesome. All my friends came by. I'm like, see, that's what you get for treating people wrong and I was mad and I was thinking about that that day and I was like you know I was thinking back to that a little bit I've been a pastor for 20 years and unfortunately what happened then with a retail store happens in church you know you have per person that um I mean let's be honest I mean i probably that manager didn't handle that situation right and I bet you the owner of the company if he would have found out he would have been ashamed I'm sure there was not Proper reflection of their company values. I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I was thinking about that for church, you know. Sometimes things happen in the church and people have offended. people get hurt. Somebody who represents God says something on behalf of God and does something wrong. And I hear people say this a lot, you know, oh, the church hurt me, which is an inaccurate statement. I know what you mean, but better said is really someone in the church hurt me. And unfortunately, the church is made up of people. At the same time, what makes it great is it's made up of people. But what makes it great is what makes it hurtful sometimes because people are imperfect. Pastors are imperfect. Staff is imperfect. Leaders are imperfect. And until Jesus comes back, it's just going to be that way. And if that's the truth, then you and I need to know how to handle and see our church. So in a way that allows us to not just receive offense, receive an issue, but get through the issue. So it's, maybe the best way to say this is it's not a matter of if I'm going to offend you. Just give it time. I'll offend you <laughs> one day. Whether it's face-to-face or from the platform, there will be a time where Pastor Aaron will not meet your expectations. It will be a time where the church will not meet your expectations. I promise you it's not our heart, but it will happen because we're people. How do we deal with that? How do you see the church? How do you see an organization that was designed to be spiritual family when a lot of times we don't treat it like that? I want to maybe give you an idea to think about. If, if we don't let go of those thoughts, and you know sometimes you get offended for you. You know some of you in here have been hurt by church. And I don't want to minimize that been hurt by a pastor been hurt by someone who claimed to be a christian some of you haven't been hurt by a church or or, you know person in church or a pastor some of you've been hurt by someone else's hurt you heard you heard someone got offended and you're carrying their offense isn't that interesting i've met people who have carried an offense for someone else they've let it go but the person's still mad and the danger is if you don't let it go You can miss out on what God's wanting to do through you in the present. So when I say spiritual family, what do I mean? What do I mean? Here's what I mean. I got a definition for you. I thought I'd read it. It's important. This is when, I, when I say spiritual family, when we say it here at church, this is what we mean. It, it's a set of non-disposable relationships committed under covenant with godly direction through his local church. That's what I mean. I mean, it's a set of non-disposable relationships committed under covenant with godly direction through his local church. God, right? God is doing something unique, not creating a club, creating family. First one we say there is that we're about creating relationships. Now, Paul goes on to say in the letter, Ephesians chapter 4. So we're in chapter 2, and then he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, he wants to like describe what God's doing. So God was doing not only uniting us to Christ, yeah, uniting us to god through christ he's also uniting us together and he says it in ephesians chapter four verse two he says with all human humility and gentleness with patience bearing with love with one another and that's important because that's like anti our culture right now right. i can't think of a better verse that says the opposite of what our culture is <laughs> then in verse three: eager to maintain that there's our word again the unity ever say unity, unity. of the spirit in the blood and the bond of of peace that Unity, and you need to know this, if you've ever tried to be united with a person, unity requires people to be relational. He did not say uniformity, he doesn't want everybody to be the same, but he wants us to be unified under one name and under one common purpose so that we can get something done in this world and not just be a bump on a log, my grandpa always used to say, right? We want to be somebody doing something, accomplishing something in this world. And to be unified requires just to be relational, it requires us to be in relationship. What's interesting is, is that the last 18 months have been the, quite the opposite. I mean, it's honestly, we feel like we've, a little bit's bit, hard, I mean, it's been hard. It's hard to be relational with people when you're stuck in your house. Some of us have forgot what it's like to have a conversation face-to-face with someone. We, the social, you know what social media does to us? A lot of times, and it's not just social media, but just even electronic means of communication. You and I can communicate with someone without connecting with someone. That used to not be the case. Just remember. You know, like when grandpa always used to say, like when Mike in my day, we used to walk uphill both ways to school. You know, it was like, how do you walk uphill both ways in the snow <laughs> to school? You know? And uh, but it's true, there was a time where in order for me to communicate to you, I had to connect with you. Yeah. And now you think communic you think connection has been confused with communication because you can like a, com- a like a post on your Facebook or put a little heart on an instagram or see a reel and you're like i got connection no you didn't you had communication you forgot how to be relational you want to do something awkward we're gonna be awkward in here (laughs) this was awkward in the first two services it was powerful (laughs) i'm gonna ask you something just on behalf of your future five seconds I want you to look at a neighbor. If you can, don't look at your spouse. But if you can look at a neighbor, I want you to stare into their eyes for five seconds. I'm going to have you five seconds. It's going to be weird. It's going to be odd. It's going to be awkward, but it's going to be the best. For five seconds, don't say anything. And I just want you to look at a neighbor for five seconds. Y'all ready? I'm going to count to three. We're going to do it. It's going to be weird and awkward. And you guys are going to be mad at me. And it's already happening. All right, here we go. On the count of three. One, two, three. Look at a neighbor awkwardly for five seconds. One, two. Don't break eye contact. Three, four, five. Okay, look at me. All right, it's over. <gasps> okay, okay, it's over. It's over. Somebody's like, "Where's my phone? Where's my phone?" I mean, you know, it's painful, isn't it? You know why? You know why? You know how relationships are painful? Is because they got people in them. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we don't even know what it's like. You know, I always say this. Intimacy um, is developed by proximity. The closer I am to you, the more intimate we are. And for a season, we had to figure out how to do it digitally because we were figuring, you know, global pandemic. If I never heard the word pandemic again, I would. it would be amazing. But we were navigating it, and we had to do it. And, and even when things started to lift, we didn't go back to the way things were, you know? And so we have a whole lot of people who are relationally um, dry and stagnant, and you forgot. I, mean, I, I want to remind you, to be relational means to be vulnerable and handle pain. Wow. Come on. It's a part of the process. I always laugh at people. They say, well, I was in a church and I started to get hurt and I don't, that's just not of God. And I'm like... The closest relationships I have are painful. The closest... relate. Isn't it true in your life? My boo who's sitting on the front row, I've been married to her... I don't feel more pain from anybody in my life than my wife. She would say the same thing to me. You would say the same thing about your spouse. Now, it's not intentional, but come on, when you love deep, right? You hurt deep, right? And so you can't come into a place and be like, well, if it's going to be right of God, I'm never going to get hurt. That ain't true. That's not true of any relationship in your whole world. But what is true is that you learn how to deal with the pain. And I'm not minimizing people who are painful on purpose. Y'all know what I'm saying. Often the greatest things come from painful moments. Come on, ladies who've had children. Come on, guys who pushed through that moment when you were about to quit and then you, come on, come on, come on, come on, and you made it through. Sometimes pain is an indicator. We treat it like it means from something's wrong. Sometimes it means something's right. The other day, I took Judah, my son, seven-year-old, to baseball. And it was early in the morning. And um, he was, he got there, and it was cold. He's like, Dad, I'm cold. I said, oh, you cold? All right, drop your glove. Go run a lap. <laughs> See how cold you are. Run. Oh, I, never mind. No, go run. Run. As he started running, he runs. comes back. I said, you cold still? He says, Yes. Can you give me a jacket? You don't need a jacket. Just keep running. Run another lap. You go run, run. She so still running. Comes back. I said, "You still cold?" "No, sir. I'm not cold. I'm good." <laughs> okay. He said, "But my my legs hurt. They're burning. There's something wrong." I said, "There's nothing wrong. You just never used them before. You don't have to use your legs playing Fortnite at church, you know, at church and at home and at school and what you know. It's like no, you you just." You know, no something's not wrong. Something's right. You're using them. Yeah. And uh, pain's not always a bad thing. Now, now, I wanted to give maybe five helpful tips on being relational. Can I do that real quick? Yeah. These are fun. They're not meant to be mean, but they're meant to help us jumpstart back into having a relationship with someone. Because it's kind of odd. Number one, be positive and not negative. I know this sounds simple and elementary, but whoa. If you went and read through your Facebook feeds and your Instagram feeds that we're all addicted to, I want you to count how many negative, negative, neg... There's more Eeyore than there is Tigger up on that Facebook, right? <laughs> Y'all remember Win- Winnie the Pooh? And Tigger was, hey, guys, how's it going? You know, this was you know. And then you had the Eeyore guy who walks in and goes, this world is just going down. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe one day we will just... Figure it out. This is the worst. I'm the worst. You know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, stop, you know? If you want to be positive and have a good relationship with someone, you need to be the positive person. Maybe your default could be positive and not negative instead of negative and then the positive. And the world would love for you to be the opposite. Most people are. Good news is negative, by the way. That's how they think. That's how you sell ads. No one, no one celebrates the good. Breaking news: Life is great. Doesn't work like that. Give more than you take. Number two: Give more than you take. 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 Okay, Pastor, we got that one. Okay, give more than you take. Give more than you take. Give more than you take. Interesting how I hear people whine about how like they say, I give so much in the relationship and they never give anything back. By the way, you're called to do that under God. I'm not giving you a gold star because of doing you're doing what you should do. Keep doing it. You're supposed to be the blessing. You're supposed to be the you're supposed to be generous with your time. You're supposed to be generous with your grace. You're supposed to give out more than you should because you're representing Jesus. He gave out more than he should. Give more than you take. Everybody loves a generous person, by the way. I've noticed that generous people get invited to every party. (laughs) Be kind, not right. Be kind, not right. Be kind, not right. Be kind, not right. Now, all of your camps that we're all in say the opposite. Hey, hold on. Be right first. Make sure they know, and then you can be kind. Like, tell them off first, then you can be kind. Cut them off first, then you can be kind. Write them off first, then you can be kind. No, no, no. No, no, no. Jesus is better at going. Let's be kind. Well, they don't know, Pastor. You got to tell them the truth. You telling them the truth ain't going to make them believe the truth. Maybe you just live, live right. Maybe you live like Jesus. If you live like him, good things happen. Be kind, not right. Be more interested than interesting. I'm explain this a little bit. Most of us want to be the star of our own television show. You want people to think you're interesting. And I was putting this message together, and I felt like God was saying, Aaron, you don't have to be the center of attention all the time. You realize that. And I'm like, God, please stop. I'm trying to tell the church stuff. I'm trying to tell the church stuff. Don't tell me stuff. Tell the church stuff. And he's like, you don't have to be the most interesting person in the world. You are not the most interesting person in the world. You can be actually interested in other people and their life and what they want to do where they want to go one of the coolest things you can do as a friend and as a relationship if you're in a relationship with somebody is ask them what they want to do and then go do what they want to do if you don't want to be friends with anybody don't do any of this (laughs) the last one is uh be unoffendable be unoffendable it's like if somebody offends you um there's your opportunity to be unoffended you can't be unoffendable and learn how to do it which by the way that's a skill so you can't do that without an opportunity to be offended and you not take the bait So, like, I'm learning that right now. Like, oh, this is, like, big lessons right now because I have, like, a lot of moments right now in my life where, like, because I've asked God recently. I'm like, God, teach me to be unoffendable. Teach me to be unoffendable. And then, like, for some reason, he keeps sending me situations that I can be super offended at. And my wife reminds me, like, remember your prayer? I'm like, no, I want to be offended right now. Just good luck with that, you know. So, tips on being, we need to get back together. Relational. Number two, covenant. So it's relationships, but it's committed under covenant. Covenant in the the Hebrew was karath. It was um, meant cut off or to to cut down. Um, Anytime in the Old Testament you see covenant, typically what it was is they had an animal, and they would cut it in half. They would put the animal on each side, and the blood would be between them. They would hold hands on the promise, and they'd walk through the blood together. That's how the covenant was made. And what it was is it symbolized that let what happened to this animal happen to us if we break a promise. That's heavy. Like, now, in this generation, if you liked a post of something you didn't agree with, cancel if you voted a certain way, cancel if you thought a certain way, cancel. If you watched a television show that you said something wrong, cancel! If they did something halfway against what you believed, cancel! It was like like everything in the world today is trying to get you and I not to be in covenant with people. It's, It's pushing you and I to transactional and not relational. Here's what that means. When you go into a relationship with someone and if you see it as transactional... I give to you, you give to me, but I'm waiting for you to give to me before I ever give to you. And unless you give me the right thing, I ain't going to give you the right thing. You see how it's transactional? As long as as it's built like that, the moment they don't live up to your expectations, it's over. So it's way easy to cancel your relationships. You'll never have long relationships. I was talking to someone um, yesterday. They had like a lifelong friendship. Notice today. They they got brought here to church, um, and they've known this friend since they were five years old. And I'm like, do you know how rare that is? You don't have friends for long periods of time without walking through some stuff. You don't have friends for a long period of time living like our culture tells us to live right now. Do you remember when you could have a barbecue with people who just, I don't know, thought different, looked different, acted different, voted different? Thought, thought, thought a different president could be in office you could debate you could talk about it you know you could like you can't do that anymore it's sad and because you can't do that anymore you don't know how to navigate moments that are awkward and weird and a lot of relationally um shallow people right now and I don't want my kids to 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 not have that ability to just kind of go no you you gotta you gotta hold on to something if it's valuable you gotta fight for it yeah. my son the other day Titus he was Annoyed by his brother. I have a 10-year-old, Titus. He's seven. Judah is seven. And he goes, ah, Dad, Judah's annoying. He talks too much. He's always in my face. He's always asking me questions. I wish we could just get rid of him. And I'm, like, I'm like, catch me on the right day, we might do that. But like, <laughs> he's annoying to me too sometimes. But I'm like, son, we can't get rid of your brother, you know. And he was partly plain but partly serious. And I was like, we can't get rid of him, son. That's blood. This says blood. He's your brother. You can't get rid of him if he's irritating you. He says something that hurts your feelings or makes you mad. You can't get rid of him. And I was just thinking about that. I'm like, the Bible even says it. Like, but now you've been brought near through him through the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ. It's blood that's between us. And when somebody in the church family offends you, annoys you, does something to you that you don't like, don't be cancel culture. Be be Christ culture, you know? Be, be, this is blood. This is blood. No, you what you did was wrong. What's well, this is blood? I want to walk this thing out, man. I don't want to, I don't want to just, just, you know, just cut out. I want to stick it out, right? Because it's blood. Number three, is God directed. So you have disposed, non-disposed relationships committed under covenant with godly direction. There's great power in knowing that God placed you here. Just for a second, let's just assume. Let's ask the question. What if God actually placed you here? What if you didn't find it through Google? Or through a broad banner? Or through a Facebook ad? Or through even word of mouth? What if what if what if God put you right here? What if? What if? What if? What if? does something to your your backbone spiritually doesn't it because you're like well god if you put me here then there's got to be a purpose but I mean, the creator of the universe decided to place me right here right now it's for a purpose psalms chapter 68 says god god places the the lonely in families one of my favorite scriptures he places the lonely in family he placed you here what if he placed you here what would that do to how you see the church and your spiritual family I remember when I was um, I just thought about this. I was doing my, my message. Uh, it's funny, my dad's on the front row. I don't know if you remember this story, Dad, but I was I was I used to play baseball twice a year growing up. I used to play spring ball and fall ball. And um, in fall it was like it would get colder in California. You know, it was like 72, so it was like really cold for us. And so like you know, we're like, man, it's getting colder. But I couldn't I, I played worse in, in fall than I did in the springtime. And in the springtime I felt like I was a pretty good hitter, and then in the fall I really struggled. But I was one of those hitters where I would hit really good. Or I wouldn't hit it all. So I struck out a lot, but I'd have good home runs, and uh, or I'd hit it long or hard, and um, and I was really emotional as a kid. I mean, I've really grown out of that now. Uh, and so, uh, that's not a joke. Okay, so uh, so I was growing up, and and, um, and when I struck out, I would I would cry, and um, I I tried not to. I really like I was trying not to, and I wouldn't ball, but I would cry. I would tear up, and I'd have tears going on my face. And, and my dad was funny, you know. Uh, and I'm, I think you did this too. From time to time, they'd be sitting in the stands. My dad was always at my games, and he, would, you know, I remember I'd walk back and I would try to like not try to hold it together. I'd be crying, and my dad would be like, "Stop crying! Like, come on, stop crying! You know, like, there's no crying in baseball. Come on, you know." And I'm like, "Okay, we'll make it." You know, you know, he'd come to the dugout. You just stop crying right now. We're not crying. We don't cry. I'm like, all right, daddy, Okay, okay. That's probably where I got it from my kids. I'm like, <laughs> run a lap. Oh, sorry, all right, sorry. So, um, but I remember one time. Just struck out, and walking back, and, and I had tears, and there's a tear going on my ear, my face. And my dad goes to the I get to the dugout, and my dad says, "Come here, son." I walk, up. I'm like, "Oh, snap! I'm in trouble." <laughs> so I walk to the dugout, and uh, I walk up to the gate, and he says, "Look at me." I look up, and I had tears in my eyes, and he says, "Do you think that you you got here yourself?" I said, "No, no, sir." I don't know if you remember this. You told me this. He said, "I, I put you here. And if I would not, he said, I would not have put you here if I didn't think you can handle being here. You can do it, Aaron. Now go do it. And he walked away. And I was thinking. Tears in my eyes. And look, I didn't walk up the next day and like become Barry Bonds. But I did walk up with a little different feeling, like, man, my dad put me here. He must see something in me that I don't see in me. And if he thinks I can do it, maybe I can do it, right? Maybe. Maybe I'm stronger than I think. Don't what what if what if something happens in the church with your spiritual family? And you, you hear a voice from heaven in your spirit that says, son, daughter, come here. I would not have placed you here if I didn't think you could handle it. You can't handle it. Now, now go do it. Yeah. What, if, what, if, what if every time you had a misunderstanding, you heard the voice of your heavenly father, and he looked at you with tears in your eyes, and he said, you, you got this. You got this. You can do it. You can do it. It does something to you, doesn't it? Doesn't it give you a little bit of like, okay, she offended me, but I can do this. Pastor offended me, but I can do this. The church offended me, but I can do this. My brother offended me, but I can do this because my daddy, he says I can. He says I can. Last one. And we're done. And I'm done. done. So it's relationships under covenant, under godly direction. Final. Through his local church. Now, listen. The local church gets a bad rap. In a lot of ways, you know? There was, um, when I was in college, I did a a research paper on seatbelts. Because I was trying to figure out a way for me not to wear (laughs) seatbelts. I was trying to see if I could kind of get away with it. And, um, I read an article one time about, they said, local guy gets thrown from car because he's not wearing a seatbelt and it saves his life. I was like, that's interesting. So I read it. And he goes through and he's like, yeah, I'll never wear a seatbelt again because it saved my life. Because the authority said if I would have stayed in the car, I would have died. And so I feel like it's safer not to wear one. And they did an interview with the National Highway of Transportation. And the guy said, That report is inaccurate because we cannot and don't have the ability to log every statistic when the seatbelt saves the life and i was thinking about that i was like he's right because like i've like slammed on my brakes you slammed on your brakes before what happens the seatbelt engages and you don't run your head into the steering wheel but you don't call up the National Highway Transportation. Hey, by the way, add this to your list. Uh, this is my name. You don't do that. You don't even do that when you get into a serious accident, and the seatbelt saved your life. So we don't have the times, and we never report the times when all the good things happen with the seatbelt. We have the 00000001 percent of the time when it happened to be advantageous that you were not wearing a seatbelt and you got thrown from the car. Y'all see what I'm saying? And the local church is so much like that that we we don't report and cannot report all the times when lives were changed, when people were set free, and all the great things that happened in the local church. We don't record them all. And so what you do here is on the local news where the local church pastor made a mistake and did something wrong, and now it's blanketed that all church is bad and all pastors don't do things right. Because last time I checked, I never heard a news report that says tonight on the 10 o'clock news, local church pastor who served his church for 55 years has married to one woman. His kids love him. The church loves him. They're honoring him. It's what a great life to be lived tonight on the 10 o'clock news. No one says that. No one reports on that. And so if not, we're not, we get slowly boiled alive into all the negative things about the world and the church is thrown into that. Because it's reported on, and we forget that the mobilized local church is the hope of the world, period. That it was God's plan A, there was no plan B, and stuff happens in the house of God that happens nowhere else in the world. And I feel like I just want to fight for her for just a little bit. I mean, it's the bride of Christ and he dies for this bride that we take advantage of and we talk bad about and we don't even value much anymore. But it's important. There's no greater place to build spiritual family than the local church. So I wrote. Just some things that just came to my mind about what happens at the local church. Psalm 92, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They are flourished in the courts of our God. In the house of God, we experience God's presence. In the house of God, the word of the Lord is spoken. In the house of God, lives get changed. In the house of God, hearts get healed. In the house of God, relationships are restored. In the house of God, vision gets clarified. In the house of God, direction is set. In the house of God, children are dedicated. I'm talking about the bride of Christ here. You can amen if you want. The house of, in the house of God, children learn and grow with God. In the house of God, single people meet their significant other. Come on, somebody. If you're single in here, start looking around. In the house of God, grace is given. In the house of God, encouragement flows. In the house of God, people are saved. In the house of God, people get baptized. In the house of God, people grow in faith. In the house of God, people set free. In the house of God, people are healed. In the house of God, strangers become family. I love the local church. I saved the local church. I got healed in the local church. I got trained in the local church. I got set free in the local church. I got redeemed in the local church. Yeah, and I got hurt in the local church. But that 0.1% is not going to keep me from what I know God wants to build through me. Some of you, that's your story. Some of you are saved in a place like this. An imperfect place. messed up not always done the right way church and um, I just would argue will you love her like Christ loved her will you value her like Christ valued her will you build her like Christ built her because those who are planted in the house of the Lord They flourish. They flourish. I'm not trying to build an organization. I'm not trying to build another church, to be quite honest with you. I'm trying to build a spiritual family. And stuff happens in this place that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world not at a college, not at a group, not at a university, not at a YMCA, not at a sports event, in the house. Of God. And that's my prayer for you today.